A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to Paris and Tennis Podcast Towers, where it's 19 minutes past midnight. We've just each cracked open a beer and I'm joined by Coach Law, the now retired Coach Law. How are you doing, David? Yeah, it didn't go our way tonight. Um, Grigor (laughs) tried his heart out and he carried out the game plan. And about four points in, he played a long rally involving slice backhands, just as I suggested he do last night. He lost that, and then he lost the next four games. <laughs> <laughs> and that was pretty much how the rest of the match went as well. How did Grigor Dimitrov's performance tonight, David, compare to Cameron Norrie's against Lorenzo Mazzetti? That was, that was one of the most scathing reviews of a tennis performance I've heard you give. Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would say that Grigor Dimitrov would have beaten him about two, three, and two. Wow! Yeah. Bloody hell, Norrie. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, the guy couldn't couldn't find the court in rallies, normal rallies. Mm. Well, that's a win for for Grigor Dimitrov, which I don't think he thought he was <laughs> going to get tonight. Bless him after his. Dismantling, quite frankly, by Alexander Zverev tonight. He was. We just got an alert through a short while ago that he'd been put in room three. I don't even know where room three is. It, it's not even a room, David. It's an area. Oh. It's. Oh, no. It's He's an area. <laughs> it's not a transcribed room, so there'll be no transcript from it. Um, yeah, it's merely an area. And look, he did. He did. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> In the second set, he did find some moments where you just... But that, rem- made, that made it worse, oh, David. You just remember how good it is when it works and how good it could have been all those years. And, and, and he's just started stepping on it and rolling the forehand down the line and getting in and finishing rallies. And you're thinking 4-2 up and he's got loads of break points on Zverev's serve. And you're thinking, this is on. And then he lost 13 points in a row. 6-1, 6-4, 6-3. Look, Zverev was seriously good 
this might be Zverev back to his best. I don't know how much it, that is to do with him being here at the French Open because he's shown no signs of this really um, up until now. He's been a shadow of his of his former self since coming back from that injury that he sustained here last year. But he obviously just loves playing here in Paris and he has been fantastic all, to, all tournament. This is serious tennis from Zverev. Yeah, well, you asked a couple of days ago whether I would you know, change my predictions if we were redoing them, having seen a bit of this tournament. And right now, I I do think Zverev is probably the favourite to reach the final out of that half. Wow. I mean, Holger Rune is, is still there, but based on the tennis I've seen from the two of them so far this tournament, I think Zverev's playing better. Uh, and also, I didn't really factor Zverev too much into my predictions because... He's kept losing to Medvedev. And that does make me think, well, maybe he was actually playing a bit better than I had realised. But Medvedev's been in such good form. He's been beating pretty much everyone this year. He's had a real thing of beating Zverev this year. I think he's beaten him at three tournaments. You know, now Medvedev's gone. Not in that half of the draw anymore because he lost on in the first round. It, it Suddenly it feels like Zverev is, yeah, as I said, maybe favourite to reach the final. Well, I mean, I think there's two things that I'd just add to that. One, he has the pedigree of having played a lot of Grand Slams, reached a lot of semifinals and a final. Okay, he didn't win it. Mm. And you saw today, we'll get on to Runa in more detail, but you saw a guy there who just hasn't done those things. And it's all new to him and he's trying to get used to it. Mm. So that definitely works in Zverev's favour. And the other one is he's played three successive matches in a row on court Philippe Chatrier. He's used to it. And you could tell that Dimitrov took him ages to get used to it, really, out there. Yeah, three successive night session matches on Chatrier. That was... Definitely, I think, a factor in his immediate comfort out there. I mean, Dimitrov could not have looked less comfortable from the word go. Could two he? I double mean, that faults was, in the first two points. That was an incredibly unsettled opening set from Dimitrov. And as you say, David, he... It, how, how, how did you put it in your text to us? Sort of one game into set two? He's, he's firing up. Grigor's firing up. Yeah. And he, well, he was. was. He was. It was true <laughs> for a bit, to quote Reggie. He's firing more, up for a bit. More on Reggie to come, by the way. He, he did fire up for a bit, but as soon as he got himself into a winning position, it fell apart in really quite tragic fashion, didn't mm. it? I mean, there was, I felt an air of tragedy to, to Dimitrov tonight. It was all a bit sad because. He really has been playing great tennis, seriously good tennis. And this just shows, I think, in terms of playing the top players on the biggest stages when it matters most, it kind of doesn't matter how well he's playing. There's just a block there. Yeah, I mean, you've got a hell of an untangling that's required. I mean, just... Further on the chat I had with Jamie Delgado yesterday, he said, look, we are still very early in what we're trying to do here. He should improve a lot more from where we are, even though he was playing well. So maybe there's there's a degree of getting used to the big stage again. My, my feeling is, though, 
he he isn't an automatic lock for a big stage anymore. He is not the guy you put on the night match for him. He's the opponent now. So mm-hmm. when he gets his chance like tonight, he's got to grab it. And I suppose that heightens the anxiety and the pressure. Did the tactics, David, that obviously you you know you called up Griggle, you gave him your the the, the best of your wisdom, um, and he listened. There was a fair bit of slicing and dicing out there tonight. Did it work the way you thought it would work? And if no. it didn't, was that because of Zverev? Was I it because of so. execution from Dimitrov? I, look, I'm sure Dimitrov could have executed it better. But he had his success when he kind of was more creative and more assertive in the second set. In the first set, he was trying those things. He was try- And he was slicing nicely. He was moving nicely. But Zverev is really good from the baseline. He is able to take a sliced ball and put you really on the back foot. He, doesn't, he's, he adjusts quite well. For a guy his size, he adjusts really well to the different heights and spins of the ball that you throw at him. It was, it was bloody impressive. Yeah, I think just to sort of go back to that point about that bottom half of the draw now, I think Zverev will see himself as kind of the alpha in that half of the draw. I think he's... When does he not? Well, I think he's still... I think, yeah, sure. But I think, you know, if there was a Djokovic in there or if there was yeah. an Alcaraz in sure. there, but against Runa and against Rude and Echeverry, he will absolutely think that he should be coming through that section. And he's, I just feel like he's grown in confidence as this tournament has gone on. You know, I was talking to some German colleagues of ours and they were saying he's, he's literally walking differently behind the scenes. He's, he's, got, he's got his swagger back. And I think that's what I think that's what's been missing a little bit throughout the start of this year. He's he's been trying to find his game and find his confidence, and it's it's all coming together for him at this tournament. I would say Echeverry is his next opponent, and I'm by no means suggesting that Zverev is not the heavy favourite for it. But it is a very different proposition to. Grigor Dimitrov, isn't it, David? I know you covered a fair bit of Echeverry's win in straight sets over Nishioka this evening, and Grigor was donating a lot to Zverev. There were openings there that Dimitrov consistently failed to take. Echeverry gives you nothing. He doesn't have the weapons that Dimitrov has, but he's not going to gift Zverev anything. No, but I think you'll probably give him a ball he likes to smash around. And I just think he's too heavy-handed for mm. Echeverry. From what I've seen of Echeverry, anyway, I mean, he's a, he's a good player, as you say, a really great pro, and he'll give everything. He'll throw it all out there. Um, and he was good today. He took advantage of Nishioka's injury in the second set early on, sort of groin strain, and I think the, all the exertion of winning a five-set match to the match before. But it's difficult to see, to me, unless Verov has a bad day. Uh, because he's a good base, he's a really good baseliner himself, and he's just got a heavier shot on every shot. Mm. Yeah, I mean he hasn't he hasn't lost a set, Echeverry. Only only him and Djokovic in the in the men's have reached oh, the wow. quarterfinals without dropping a set. He's beaten three seeds to get there. Who yeah. are they? He's beaten Chorich, he's beaten Nishioka, and he's beaten De Menor. But absolutely none of those players have a sort of baseline power that 
that Zverev has, but it, he's 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 won a lot of matches on clay. He it's, it's one of those runs that exactly as you were doing earlier on this evening, Matt, makes you look back at his recent results leading up to this tournament and kind of reframe them. Mm, yeah, bit, like he lost to Djokovic in Rome. Yeah, you know, Tough draw. had he not run into Djokovic, what might have happened? You mm. know, it's. Yeah, I mean, know, he, he got to the final in Houston on clay. I know that's, you know, I almost don't think of that as part of the clay court season. That's it's certain, you know, it's not the European clay court swing. It's right at the start of the season. Uh, you sound like Sitsipas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor was, Fritz will be coming at me tomorrow. That is the nichest tennis gag you'll ever hear <laughs> if you know you know yeah. folks if you don't know you're not missing much yeah. and meanwhile matt's just got compared to stefanos <laughs> hey. yeah although mm. yeah anyway as you were <laughs> yeah i think it's, it's, it's a very different matchup for zverev as well as you said because he's played he's played tiafo and he's played dimitrov in his last couple of matches who as you said did Give something away, and Echeverry is not going to do that. But Zverev's a strong favourite, I would have thought. That match between Echeverry and Shioka was played on Suzanne Longlane Court, and that one was straight sets, as was, well, actually, the one that preceded it, Igor Svantec and Lesia Serenko, not even straight sets, because there was a retirement there from, from Serenko trading 5-1 in the first set. But... Before that were the two matches of the day. Longland was the place to be today and it was the place for us to be today. We'll come on to the first match of the day uh, shortly when we talk about the, the women's side of things. But let's talk about Holger Rune and his deciding set tiebreak win over Francisco Sarindolo, which we'll watch. Not all of it because, you know, we've got things to do. Um <laughs> But actually, we don't have a lot to do besides watch tennis and talk about it. But, but I mean, we the... were all there in the press box. We'll probably end up being our last experience watching on Long Len this tournament because today was the last day of singles action on, on Long Len. I mean, David will probably be out there watching Legends mixed doubles I, in a couple of days. I'm but... certainly getting more more action before I finish. <laughs> but, but, you know, in terms of stuff we'll be talking about on the podcast, yeah. that was our climax, it was wasn't perfect. it? It was perfect. And it was extremely special yeah uh, i i won't forget that hour of watching that deciding set because i've watched a lot of tennis on longland i've seen some french player moments and and the, the gaston dimonor match last year will i'll never forget that and there have been several of them i think this is the first time i've watched a really high stakes match for a favorite well, one of the favourites for the title, or at least one of the favourites to reach the final in Holger Rune, top 10 seed, on the brink, trying to find a way to stay afloat in the draw. And you're so close up in those Longland press seats. We're, we were about seven or eight seats along from Patrick Moritoglu. You know, we're really close there. And you 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 see the way Rune is turning around and the reactions and... And what he's going through, that's, that's what I love about those positions, is, is getting a sense of the games. I mean, Matt and I have sat there through so much tennis this week just to enjoy the tennis strokes of, of back and forth and what they do and what they're capable of doing. This was about 
getting inside this young man's psyche as he's trying to deal with this moment for the first time almost in his life. Yes, he had that five-setter against Rublev at the Australian Open, and he came out on the wrong side of that. This is huge for him that he's done the opposite now. Even if it was scrappy and unconvincing and it was a terrible tennis match for four <laughs> sets, it was terrible. They were both really rubbish for four sets, pretty much. And they were nervous and stressed. And as soon as it went into a fifth, it was so obvious to me that it was now going to get good because there's a finish line, it's coming, stop faffing around, let's do this. It's funny, you know, in his, in his press conference after the match there was lots to to take from it not not all in what he said a lot in sort of how he looked which was utterly spent but you know he's 20 years old I have I have faith in his powers of revival but that that's a debate for a few moments time he said when he entered that fifth set tie break the the Rublev match was on his mind the the deciding set tie break he played at the last Grand Slam in Australia was at the forefront of his mind and he said he was thinking I just need to do something different to what I did then because <laughs> that didn't work and what he did different was turn into Tim Henman <laughs> um, uh, not totally out of nowhere because he does serve Ollie on big points this is something we see from him and something we had been seeing throughout this match and he does have a good deal of success of, on it but he went into that tie break and essentially did it on every point. It was it was really fascinating. Yeah. I thought that he was brave. I thought he was clear-minded in those moments. And that's what you said to me when I said, oh my, who is this guy? <laughs> you said, I think it's... Because he was so stressed, as you say. You know, we could pretty much see the whites of his eyes and he he was having kittens out there wasn't yeah. he and you said you thought it just cla cl it was clarity in his mind it's a very sort of direct route one okay I'm just going to do this and I yeah. don't need to think about it too much but he only did it at our near end of the court and in the early parts of the tie break and he was doing it repeatedly because you could see he was stressed when he went down the other end when it was getting tight and I think it was six all change ends he goes down the other end of the court he then locked into the baseline game again. And then it was just classic Runer, I thought, that, that got him the win. I mean, I just... Because I think the fog cleared. I think, I think mm. once he got to six all, I think he started to think, okay, right, I'm going to start playing my tennis now. And, and he locked into those rallies and he was fantastic from the baseline. You were doing the, the tweeting for us, Matt, during that fifth set because... Hannah has to have a few hours off at, at some point. <laughs> and I think it was at 5-all that you tweeted, this is Holger Runa's body versus Francisco Sarundalo's nerve. And mm. I think that is a perfect encapsulation of the match because I'm worried about Holger Runa's body. Um, he's, it felt like he won this match in spite of his ailments today and I still think there's there are positives on the physicality front because I'm quite sure he would have been cramping and glugging the pickle juice in this match a year ago and he he didn't cramp he did look on the verge of cramping he was doing some slightly odd walking wasn't he <laughs> in the latter stages and poor old Francisco Sarundolo did 
quite a lot of not quite holding his nerve, didn't he? And I don't know, nerve-wise, I think Holgerun has got it. I think he's nails. And and what I find most impressive about that is how early that seems to have come in his career. Because to me, that was quite a Djokovic-style win that he had today. You know, if you look on the if you look on the score, you know, on the sort of stat sheet. He hit way more unforced errors than Sarundalo. He hit way fewer winners. He won way fewer points, and yet he ended up winning. And I think it takes a a special mental performance to be able to do that. And just as just as David described, in a couple of key moments, the very end of that tie break, he went into lockdown mode, refused to miss. When he was love forty down, serving at three four in the fifth, he played a terrible game, terrible three points, and then suddenly he didn't miss and came through that game. And it feels it feels to me like Djokovic has developed that over the course of his career. It's, it's been particularly a trait that he's had in in the latter half of his career. Runa seems to have it already, and it it really confuses me in terms of his physicality about how to feel about it because he looked exhausted in this match he looked exhausted in the press conference he said in his press conference that he's he's sort of treating Roland Garros as a last push because he's played so much tennis over this clay court season and he's played so much tennis over this clay court season because he keeps getting involved in matches like this and I think he I think he threw that fourth set to conserve energy for the fifth. And I think he's done that repeatedly throughout this clay court swing, which is, you know, a positive that he's able to realise that and he does what he needs to do to win. But I'm also a bit worried that he doesn't seem to have five sets at the highest level in his legs this right now. This was his first ever five-set win. Yeah, He'd only played two before, and he'd lost them both. The Rublev won at the Australian Open in a tiebreak, of course. But I just feel there's going to be a player left in this draw who forces him to play max level over five sets. And I, I just don't know whether he's, he's got that in him physically. Is that player going to be Kasper Ruud in the next round who... Sorry to remind you of this, Matt, but <laughs> did beat Nicholas Jarry today in three straight sets. Don't, don't Shall we re- deal with the Nicholas don't, Jarry don't of re- it all? Don't want to relive our desperately sad lunch that we had, where just when I, every time I thought I had Matt's attention, I realised he was looking over at my shoulder at the screen with Nicholas Jarry on, looking a bit wistful. He, he, he dangled hope in my face, Nicholas Jarry, <laughs> oh, and then I, failed to convert all of his break points. I, I know, because they kept coming to to me to commentate on every time he got a break point and that was a lot of times yeah and he just kept blowing it yeah and then when he would and then when he did break finally he would lose serve in the next game <laughs> flipping heck Nicholas Jarrett <laughs> he's got something hasn't he but he he was in every one of those sets that match yeah. was over three hours mm. long for was, three sets it was like Groundhog Day each set just sort of repeated itself three times it was torturous it mm. was what would you rather he'd lost like Grigor Dimitrov? <laughs> no, that was that was really bad. <laughs> so rude against Runa, the repeat of 
he shouted Yara in my face, brackets, he definitely didn't. <laughs> um, is Rude going to be that guy that you just described for Runa? I, I will back Runa. I think Runa could get through in similar fashion to today. I think maybe against Rude, he could have a set where he doesn't need to bring it all the time. I think he's, he's got more game than Rude. And I think beating Rude for the first time as he did in Rome just a few weeks ago, I think psychologically mm. that will be important for him. If he'd gone into this match with a, you know, 0-5 record or something, that, and then knowing he has to do it over five sets, I think that could have been really tough. David, you've got thoughts? I, I think that Rude was refreshingly honest about how the pressure of coming off last year has affected him in his press conference. I, I liked listening to that. He he was honest. He said a year ago, I came to running Garros. I'd already done well on the clay. So it didn't really matter too much. You know, I wanted to do well, but it was, you know, if I hadn't have done well, it's like, oh, well, I've already won this and that. And, you know, now it's not like that because he's he's defending last year's final. And he was just totally blunt about that. Um, and I, th- I respect him for it because he's clearly not playing as well as he was a year ago. And he's having to fight and scrap and get through these matches. And, and, that, and that, he was really demonstrative in this match against Jerry today. He was really frustrated, but he was celebrating vociferously the fact that he got through it. I think Runa will beat him. I think Runa will take him out this time. I think he's, he's ready. He's a much more complete player and more mature than he was. And I think he's got that match today out of the way. You know, winning a five-set match makes you stronger. You le- he will have learnt so much today. And I think he can just go for it now. He can go for it. He'll be on the Chatrier court. All the attention's on him. He can just go for it. He, he said in his press conference, Runa, that he, he hopes this match-up in contrast to their match last year, will be drama-free. Yeah, and right. I suddenly thought, oh, God, I'm less mature than Holger Runa. <laughs> oh, yeah, I died I, I inside. I really don't want it to be drama-free. I mean, he says all this, but if you, I mean, do you remember the Carrie Enfield character, Kevin the Teenager? Do you, do, you, do you ever see that? I barely remember it, David, so... Oh, God, don't. do I have to? Oh, God, it's happened again. Oh, missed. Oh. That's that's what Kevin the teenager was like, and it's very Holger Rune. in a slightly more hyper way. Yeah, he's very fast twitch, isn't he? He's yeah. twitchy. But everything, everything's a problem. Everything's against me. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite confident there will be drama. Yeah. Of of well, it's, as David said, it's a Rune match. Someone There's shout always in someone else's face. No, because that cause that never happened. <laughs> I think there were, the, but, 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 but what did happen was the the Kasparud shake of the head, like yeah, get a life, mate, yeah. grow up a bit. Look on his face. There's going to be that. There's going to be him trying to hold that in, and there's going to be Runa just unable to. Okay, you've sold me on it. I just wanted Runa to embrace the drama mm, a bit me more. Me too. Yeah, he's 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 growing up. Mm. And we're obviously not. <laughs> He's been prepped. We're and I hate the people who went to, prepped him. Went to so many press conferences today purely because I wanted, I was thirsting out for drama. Yeah, and actually, 
it, Which others? It, it came in... Sorry, sorry, vegetable. Oh, in, I want to hear about that later, yeah. We, we did get drama, just okay. to tease you for for the second half of the pod. It, it, it didn't come in the places we were expecting, let's put it that way. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it, but if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Now, before we get on to part two of the podcast, why don't I tell you or why don't we tell you in chorus that the tennis podcast throughout Roland Garros is brought to you in association with... On Location. location. The, the hospitality, hospitality and, and experience. experience. The pre- oh, I've, I've boosted <laughs> it. Premium hospitality and experience provider. There we go. Hooray for Max. Which of us has the script here? <laughs> On Location is the official tour operator for the BNP Paribas Open at Indian Wells in March. And we can tell you that their packages via Steve Vogel's International Tennis Tours are now on sale for Indian Wells 2024. And I have been thinking this week that I don't know how we get through winter. Like, the weather has been that great. And I say this with apologies to anybody in a place in the world that hasn't been experiencing glorious weather for the last 10 days. But it's been so lovely that I have been thinking, I can't do winter anymore. I will simply have to hibernate. Before going to Australia. Before <laughs> hibernate Australia, Indian Wells. That's the only way I can get through winter. Okay, deal. Yeah, deal. If you would like to go to Indian Wells in style and experience one of the most spectacular settings to watch professional tennis, staying in four or five-star hotel or accommodation, great tickets to watch the tennis and access to a hospitality suite, to relax in, in between matches, just go to 
no, just go to Tours <laughs> for Tennis. I forgot how to read a URL. Toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast and go to the Welcome to Paradise section. Now then, let's stay on court Suzanne Longlen for as long as we possibly can. Let's take you all the way back to the start of the day. And this really is a long way back. <laughs> let's take you to the beginning of Beatrice Haddad Meyer against Saris Uribe's Tormo, which feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like we've all, well, as we've established, not grown up or matured, but, you know, we're all different people. Of all ages. To, to do who we were at the start of that match. Saribas Tormo and Haddad Meyer included. Yeah, I mean, this was the longest WTA match of the year. It was, was it four hours? It was certainly close to it. Three hours, 51. Three hours, 51. And my word, was it a struggle. And Sara Saribas Tormo led by a set and three love. And even that doesn't tell the full story because Haddad Meyer had a healthy lead in the first set. And from what I was reading, I wasn't able to watch at that point, but from what I was reading, she really lost her nerve. And she has had some issues with that in the past. And, I, and what I love about watching her, now that I've got over the Wimbledon episode <laughs> of last year, where she horrifically let me down, um, is that she doesn't hide from her nerves. She, she lets you know she's feeling it, and she's really on edge and upset that it's not necessarily happening, but she wants it so much. She doesn't pretend it doesn't. She's not doing a poker face. Every point in between points, you you feel what she feels. I was really on the edge watching her. I felt very emotional because she just tells you. She lets you know with her facial expressions and the way she's talking to her box. And so she there she is, a set and three love down. And she comes back. And I got out there at, um, I think I think it was 4-3 in the second set to Haddad Meyer. And I, 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 I mean, I, I thought, I'm just going to try and get this in before I need to go up to the commentary box for, the, for my sort of um, session of, of commentary. And, and it was only two more games. She just broke serve and, and won. And, and the crowd were up. You know, she'd got her own pocket of Brazilian fans wearing Gustavo Curtin, 1997... Uh, Diodora Guga curtain shirts. It was fantastic, and um, there were. Sing- I told you about those in press. By the really? Way. Yeah. Oh wow! Oh, well, you have to tell she me in a sec. But they were singing "Ole Ole 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 Bia." It was great. It was just amazing atmosphere. But I didn't expect that it would still be going on about two hours later. <laughs> <laughs> had you not? Had you not appropriately fueled for that? That's the problem with tennis, isn't it? You don't know how many snacks you have to bring to any given match. Yeah. Cause... Although, Srivas Tormo had admire, did have three-plus hours written mm. all over it. They are both known for incredibly long matches. And one of the lines of the day, really, came from Srivas Tormo, sort of asked about, you know, she lost this match, and she was asked in, in press, how are you feeling out there, you know, deep in that fifth set? She said, I really enjoy it being honest. Wow. And that's it. I feel like I feel like Srebus Tormo and had and had Admire are almost like marathon runners. They they think differently about tennis matches to for example Igor Sviontek, who is like a sprinter. It's just a different mental approach and they're and they're therefore both 
they did actually both seem like they were quite embracing those final moments. And I, therefore, I didn't feel quite so bad. I was having a great time. It was incredible drama. And normally, normally when both players are sort of tight and it, and it, you know, sort of suffering, you feel bad that you're enjoying this match. But I knew that they were both sort of in their element out there. And that, that, crowd reaction to Haddad Meyer is quite special at Roland Garros and again I was I was living this match you know myself on on Longland but also sort of vicariously through through Natalie Gedra who we've mentioned a lot on the podcast this week she's she's here and she just is always at the Brazilian matches and, and she was telling me that it's very specific to Roland Garros because of Quirton you know the Brazilian fans show up to this event. They love this event. They follow all the players here. And you could feel it on the court. And she got so tight, Haddad Meyer, serving it out and got broken and had to break again and try again to serve it out and fell love 30 down. But eventually, eventually came through. And there were there were 80 rallies over nine shots in this match. I mean, that is... That is absolutely preposterous. Because neither one of them has got a really big no. shot, has and, and, and it's the same thing that you were saying about Svitolina and Kasatkina. The serve just didn't exist in this match. It was just rallies. And had Meyer's 6-2 or something. Yeah, yeah and she does have a bit you, of power. Yeah, but... She doesn't punch her weight, though, does she? No, no. You know, absolutely You're not. expecting this thing to come down like, like, like crazy, and she doesn't really have that. Yeah, I mean, more than Cerebes Tormo, but yeah, you're absolutely right. She yeah. doesn't play the way you expect was, her to for her stature at yeah. all. Yeah, it, it was just, it was a match that, yeah, I guess like sort of long distance running was was one in the mind, I think. And, and had Admire said that in her on-court interview, she said that wasn't about tennis at the end. You know, mm. it was... It was, Think of the was, matches they've played in the past. That, I mean, Haddad Myers was the previous longest match this year, and I always think of Cerebus Tormo against Kerber in that Wimbledon. Mm. Yeah, the match that David heard but, but didn't, didn't see. Yeah. And also went to sleep outside on the bench <laughs> for a bit. And it, it's what I asked her about, <laughs> as I said, David, I told her about the the um, the fans dressed in Guga Quirton kit Um that was supporting her and she, she hadn't clocked them. I wouldn't expect her to be. She'd obviously been very aware of how vociferous the support was for her. And it obviously had uh, meant a lot to her, but she really smiled when I told her about that. And I asked her, you know, cause she, she was one when Quirton won his first French Open. She doesn't have, oh, she doesn't have direct memories of him and what he did here. So I was interested in, how much that was in her tennis DNA, really? Um, and the answer is a lot, um, <laughs> because she said, you know, Quentin made it so that you 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 can't be a tennis player from Brazil without heart. Like it's just not acceptable to 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 do it any other way. Like you have to. Like you you're not going to be Google Quirton necessarily there was obviously an ethereal quality to him and she did kind of reference that she said she said the first time I met him I, I suddenly got it you know I just like oh okay that's that's the thing that people talk about um and she said yeah you know I, I knew that that was the only option for me in terms of how to do things and as you both say 
wasn't about tennis at the end it was about heart um and it was an incredible victory and i'm i'm really intrigued by Ange Jabeur against Beatrice at Admire now in the quarterfinals oh, it's that's fascinating it is isn't it Jabeur a comfortable winner today against Bernarda Perra a slightly bizarre comfortable win because she couldn't hold serve yeah but fortunately for her <laughs> Perra was just a bit worse at holding serve <laughs> in fact quite a lot worse I yeah. mean Perra didn't hold serve it was a very one-sided match won by somebody that couldn't really hold serve yeah Jabeur controlled this match by breaking serve every time so that whenever she held serve and I think I think she did it three times maybe four those felt like breaks yeah it was it was all the wrong way around basically from how we normally think of a tennis match and Jabur said I expected her to play better <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think what Perra kept doing was sort of getting involved in Jabur-style rallies. You know, she was trying to drop-shot Jabur. And that, that just isn't no. a very good idea, really. I think Perra's got power, and I'd, she wasn't really using it. Um, but Jabur... It can it, make you feel like that, though, can't it? If somebody's always drop-shotting you, you almost... Well, I'm going to do it to you, then! <laughs> like what the, It was exactly like that. Like the feet off the ground backhand that Shapovalov top-edged when he was three or four love down against Alcaraz the other night that felt like a kind of, I, I need to show that I can do a fun, spectacular thing as well. <laughs> you know, relatable, but not something that wins your tennis mm. matches. Yeah, and he couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But for Jabert, this is the first time she's reached the French Open quarterfinals. It, it was the only quarterfinal she hadn't reached. Mm. And... Again, that doesn't really make any sort of sense when you think of Jabur. I think of her as being such a good clay court player. Of course, we all know what happened at Roland Garros last year. That was her real chance to to go deep. I'm just so pleased that she's come back from that a year later, coming into this tournament in a totally different place. You know, no one was really talking about Jabur. It was That's all helped her. It was all Rebecca, Sviontek, Sabalenka. She's been under the radar. She's, she's enjoying it. She's been able to get matches to find form. She's relishing it. And now, now she feels like real contender. She's dangerous she's, now, yeah. She's here now. The other women's quarterfinal that was set up today is Iga Svantec against Coco Goff. Um, I think I've seen this film before. How can it be different? Well, what, what I would say is, I mean, Coco Goff was a mixed bag. Um, because the the forehand was doing some damage, I would say, today. I think it helped her to win that match. But it also then let her opponent back into the sets when she'd established a good lead in both of them. And I just think that there are some positive signs with it, but it's still technically fragile. So... I don't see how she beats Iga Svantec, really. I don't think that she will. Um, and I don't, I, I'm less hopeful for, the, for her than I was ahead of the final last year. Wow, that's interesting. That's interesting because, I mean, Coco Goff has asked quite a lot of really direct questions about this in comparisons to the final last year, how she feel ahead of it compared to... 12 months of it ago, all of that. And I suppose you'd expect her to say, 
I'm a better player now, it's going to be different. But she said it in a quite con- in a way that convinced me that she believes that. Good. Yeah, but then I also asked her about, we've heard some people that are far more expert than us on the technical side of things saying that they are noticing not massive changes on the forehand, but some something subtle on the forehand, the contact point being being a little bit different. So I put that to her um, in press and I was a bit nervous about it because we know that she's not quite touchy because she deals with it very well, um, but a little bit defensive on the forehand. She does uh, on questions about the forehand. She even did it a bit to Mary Carrillo, didn't she, in the pre-tournament press conference she kind of answered the question but didn't um so I put that to her you know some people are saying that there are these they're noticing a minor technical change on the forehand is that the case and I still don't quite know if she misunderstood my question a bit or deliberately obfuscated the question a bit or I don't know she said People might think that from the outside and then just talked about how much of a weapon she thinks her forehand has been this tournament. And as you say, David, it has been, but it's also the, if something is going to let her down, it is, it is still that shot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't, maybe this is just more of the same of, I don't want to get in my head about this forehand. So I'm going to, trot out an answer that I do, I do think now that plays into that forehands typically anyway tend to sprout more errors because you're trying to do more with it you're mm. trying to end rallies with it and uh, and so forth she clearly is another step along from that because she's got some technical flaw that much is very clear to everybody and more to those that that really understand but I do feel as though she can do some damage with it it's whether she can do some damage against somebody like Shantek. Because <laughs> can she... Like, she was getting balls she could really go after today. And she was going after them. Do you get those balls against Igor Shantek? That's it. I mean... I don't know whether you do. When I, when I zoom out, I think it's important to say I didn't think Coco Goff would reach the quarterfinals here. Mm. I think this represents a good tournament for Goff. You know, I think she's reached the quarters here three years running. And you look at her season overall and, and, you know, she had a really fast start to the year. She won 12 of her first 15 matches and it's, it's just sort of slightly tailed off since then. But she was playing really good tennis at the start of the year. And over the clay court swing, she's lost to Buzkova, Barossa and Potapova in her warm-up events. And a couple of those were really not close at all. So I looked at her draw here and I thought, well... She'd probably lose to Kudamatova. I think they were in the same section. I thought that's a that's a category of player that Goff hasn't been beating recently. And so what I would say is that she's she's been good this tournament, better than I would ex- would have expected. But she's not played anyone ranked in the top sixty. And now we're talking about her playing the world number one, the best player on clay. I think exactly as David said. She's just not going to be able to look so good because she's not going to get the rallies and the chances that she's had against those other players. Fascinated I think, to know whether she does anything dramatically different. Me too. I mean, 
I don't know what that would be. But yeah, what would that look like? Teeing off. Like, absolutely making mincemeat out of the surf. She's so... Oh, it's so off. in her DNA to on rely yeah. on her mm. athleticism, on though, isn't well, it? The, the only but... time I've seen it different, Catherine, actually, was against Simona Halep, who she had a terrible record against. I don't think she's ever beaten her, actually. And the last time she played her that I remember watching, she just decided to go for everything as her solution. And actually, she got quite a lot closer, I thought. Um, well, still didn't win. Well, she has to tee off. Yeah. On return, if, if she, do, I mean, that that should be point it, one. I think that that is that has been the playbook of everyone who's beaten Shvantec. Well, this it is year. it is a curiosity about Shvantec is that you know to the eye test, it, take the take the returner, the opponent out of the equation. That second serve looks vulnerable and attackable from Shvantec, and yet so few opponents are really able to expose that weakness and I don't quite understand why I don't know if there's some sort of magic solution that someone's going to find the key to one day and every, the rest of the tour will go that's the template I mean I guess Rebecca has but then she's so strong on mm. both sides mm. um, I don't think she, Goff's as good as she is but she does have a world-class backhand and the forehand I just think she's better off just hitting the living daylights out of it mm. on return Mm. And she's going to have the reverse problem as well, how to hold serve. I mean, Igor Sviantek has won 18 of her 22 returning games this tournament. (laughs) I mean, that is a joke. She won three bagel sets in a row and was on a 23-game winning streak. Yeah, Lesia Serenko today, bless her, retired uh, trailing 5-1 in the opening set, but... Her contribution to the <laughs> to 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 this fourth round match was ending Shontek's winning streak. How many games did she run in one in a row at that point? Yeah, twenty three. Twenty three. Three bagel sets and uh, one five one here, and she said she'd won four one four in a row there, and then she uh, she'd won the last game of the set. She won six four. It's quite a lot. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous. <laughs> So, those quarterfinals will all be in a couple of days' time. We have we have one more sort of event from today that I feel like we need to just just devote a few minutes to. No, it's not my trip to the Roland Garros shop where I discovered well, that. that was an event. It was an event. I discovered that... You were gone ages. Should you wish to... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I queued for 40 minutes, Matt. 15 minutes of that, I was in the wrong queue. Turned out I was in the queue for a champagne <laughs> champagne bar. Um, Did you get any champagne? I or? didn't. No. There was what, when I neared the front of the queue for the champagne bar and I realised, oh, I'm in the queue for a champagne bar, I did think, wow, the universe really wants me to have some champagne. Uh, but, it would have cheered you, you know, up. I was such a thorough professional that I ducked out of that and went to the shop instead. Uh, which was like queuing for a theme park ride. They were letting people in in, you know, waves of about 20 or 30 at a time. <laughs> um, and then when you got in there, it was a bit like being at a theme park as well. It was it was a jungle. Um, it was like a sort of Roland Garros-themed John Lewis. <laughs> like, th- there's a luggage section, there's a bedding section. It's... <laughs> 
It's a lot to take in. Anyway, I said that this this bit wasn't going to be about the uh, Roland Garros shop. What it's actually going to be about is, well, partly picking up on a a story that we told you about last night, um, the uh, disqualification of Miu Kato and her doubles uh, women's doubles partner yesterday for a completely innocuous batting away of the ball with absolutely no intent or recklessness whatsoever that just so happened to hit a ball girl and really distress her um and with with a, a bit of s- seeming persuasion from their opponent Saris Ribes Tormo and Marie Buzkova the referee was brought out onto court and the referee then defaulted them um, well, Miu Kato was back in mixed doubles action today with partner Tim Puetz and Kato didn't come to press after the disqualification yesterday. Everything we were hearing suggested she was incredibly distressed um, for for several hours after after that match, and she was excused from um, from any request to come to press, quite understandably. Um, but she did come following her mixed doubles win today alongside Tim Puetz over, well, over Luisa Stefani, David. Oh. What a player she is. Oh, yeah. Oh, in yeah. the words of David Law. Um, it's ruined my day. So, the, as you can imagine, there was a lot of interest in that press conference. It was put in room two. First chance to speak to Cato after the disqualification. And it was, it was a, it was a wild half an hour, Matt. <laughs> Yes. Half an hour? Oh. At least. She was in the press room for half an hour. We, we, well, because we, of what <laughs> happened. It was... It, I mean, I still don't think I've quite processed it. We were in a Japanese press conference for a while. We were in a sort of audience with Tim Puetz type situation. <laughs> P.S. We're having him on the podcast at some point. What I, a guy. What a guy he is. Okay. Mm. Well, now, yeah, we found it's, it's, something, David, that we want more than Djokovic against Alcaraz. Mm. What's that? Kato and Puetz to win the mixed doubles. Yeah, it's all I want from They're this tournament. so great. Yeah. Oh, I didn't so, know that. No, <laughs> well, nor did we. And, and nor did we. And in the first five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe even 15 minutes of this press conference, I didn't think that either. I mean, mm. it, it's, it started on a really... Oh, somber, sad, distressing. No, it was it was it was horrible. I mean Cato was clearly distressed before before the moderator had even asked the first question. Yeah. to them. Yeah, which was in English and I mean she so the moderator asked for thoughts on the match that they'd played today and Tim Puetz answered Kato was asked whether she had anything to say and she was sort of sat back in her chair and she didn't even move towards the mic. She clearly didn't want to say anything. The first question came in English and it was about, you know, just asking her to explain her general reaction to the default, basically. And she started crying. She didn't want to speak. The moderator was brilliant with her and really um, just checked that she was okay. They went out the room for about five minutes, probably Mm. Um, came back in. And the solution that they'd come up with was that they would do the Japanese portion of the press conference first, rather than English, just to try and get Kato talking and 
just I guess processing some of her emotions really and so that was when we were then in a Japanese press conference for about 10, 10 minutes probably uh, so we were just sat there very politely and at this point she was talking you know slowly considered yeah, she was talking. but she was clearly opening up a little bit more and then I can't quite remember how Tim Puetz got so involved. That, well, there was a, I think there was, a, it was a very well-moderated press conference. This was a real sort of, um, there's no legislating for this kind of situation. It was a real just in the moment using your judgment and mm. feel for the situation. And I really think it was brilliantly handled. Um, there was a kind of, so the the Japanese seemed to come more naturally to an end. And there was a, okay, should we give it a, a go with a bit of English now and um, she, she sort of tried but she wasn't quite ready and then the moderator sort of did a bit of PR for Tim Puetz and said just to remind you Tim is also here <laughs> if you'd like to ask him anything um, he did a brilliant and then he sort of waved, wave. waved to the crowd <laughs> <laughs> and every, and then there was a sort of Oh God! Someone's got to ask something of Tim Puetz here, even though we all know we're here to speak to Miu Kato. And, so, and it was so quite a, a tricky of, first question. It was then a sort of sympathy question came for Tim Puetz, or what we thought was a sympathy question and, at the time. And it was, do you think Kato should have been defaulted? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant question. <laughs> and I must say, I thought his answer to that was very, very interesting. And, probably the best take on it that i'd heard and again he made he made the point that there needs to be video review needs to come in because both in the moment and after the fact yeah like somebody could be looking at that now she she and her partner have had all of their ranking points and prize money stripped for the whole tournament for the women's doubles somebody could be looking at you can't revoke the default obviously that's happened the match wasn't completed but you could revoke that action and that punishment, you know, like you can with red cards in um, in football. You know, mm, you yeah. can't revoke them having been sent off in the moment, but the the obligatory ban can be reduced or overturned, whatever it is, and, and in the other direction as well. I mean, mm. that obviously needs to happen because it shouldn't be a situation where the whole of social media has seen more and got more information than anybody in mm. I mean, the good the news is that this will probably be the moment position. that does change that. Well, you say that, but we've had video replays on the court available to us forever and they don't use them. Mm. We've still had... There was a big double, double... There was a double, double bounce, bounce controversy in today. the Luna match I'm going today, to look into there? that and find out yeah. why that isn't happening. Mm. We're, we're but, but, not done with the... T- <laughs> on audience with Tim Puetz. <laughs> but, I mean... He also made the point that in the moment, that decision was made purely because of the ball girl's reaction. Because mm. no one had actually really seen what had happened. Because the umpire didn't see it. The supervisor who came on didn't see it. And no one's blaming the ball girl for the way she reacted. It was a very distressing situation. But no one was able to really say how severe it was. You know, and no one was able to identify that it wasn't reckless and out of control. So, yeah, he he just made a great point there. He said, I can't argue with the decision, you know, based on the evidence that they had available to them at the time, they probably did make the right decision. Mm. But 
knowing what ev- what we know and what everyone then saw, it feels incredibly harsh. It was very considered. It wasn't sort of your reactionary, you know, I don't know how anyone's going to sleep at night yeah. tweet. But equally, he was supportive of, of Cato, who was sitting right next to him. And, and, and then there was another a- attempt to see if she felt able to communicate in English. And she wasn't anti any of this. I felt like she did want to want to try she just she at each stage wasn't quite ready or didn't quite know mm. and then and then Tim Puet stepped in and said well look we've chatted about this so if you're okay with it Miu I'll try and express some of the things that you've expressed to me and it was, it was lovely it was oh, absolutely lovely and he did and he he sat there kind of expressing her feelings and her point of view while she was sort of nodding nodding along and and then there were some very amusing questions about how their doubles. Part- well, he was asked actually. Yeah. He said, "Is he was asked, is it true that you were originally going to play with a different with Ina Shibahara, a, a different Japanese player?" And he player. said, "No, no, that's news to me." And then and underlying all this was Tim Puet constantly sort of dissing the mixed doubles yeah he kept, he kept he, he sort of kept, saying i don't really care about mixed he told, doubles he was, they were asked how they came to play together and he said oh you know i i don't really care about mixed doubles but um i asked mia if she wanted to play with me and she said well what's your ranking <laughs> it became a real mm, but i think now he's into it now he wants. Now I think he wants well, to I win hope so, for her. I'm into it. He wants to win for her. That yeah. was what was so it was really sort of lovely touching. about it. When the next playing? Well, I, soon because the finals Thursday. Right. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're going to track these people. I'm down. really into it. I'm desperate. Yeah. Who are they playing next? Who could say? I mean, <laughs> I'm not that into the mixed doubles. <laughs> we'll find out tomorrow, folks. <laughs> Look, we will keep you posted on their progress. I promise you of that. Uh, right, they might even be playing tomorrow. <laughs> I've had two beers, folks. I don't. We'll know what's let you going know on. if they're playing tomorrow. We'll let you know. I can tell you who is playing tomorrow, uh, and that is the first of our quarterfinals. I can't. But every every slam, I'm like, how are we already at the quarterfinal stage? Because that's how time works, Catherine. Um, we start on Chatteray. There's another sort of let's get the women out of the way flavour to tomorrow. We start. At 11, with Karolina Mukova against Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. Then we have Svitolina against Sabalenka. Third match of the day, Djokovic against Hashinov. And it's Carlos Alcaraz against Stefanos Tsitsipas. That is all coming tomorrow. So, that's it, I think. Except to remind you that Phoebe is our lovely mascot. We have our mascots, Zenya. Woohoo! Hooray! Maisie. Right, Maisie. We got we got a win today, Maisie. Stopped our five prediction rot. And Darwin. Let down at the last by <laughs> Nicholas Jarry. <laughs> Billy Jean. Dead to me. Billy Jean's been out on a bender tonight. <laughs> Photo evidence has been provided. I'll pop it on her Instagram. She's been celebrating. She does look like she's blown the suds off. She's of you. very good at celebrating. My uh, my brother became a doctor today not a medical doctor don't contact him with any medical concerns uh a a phd of 
things far above my pay grade. So congratulations to him. Uh, we really, I was mentioning Billie Jean. She's sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our executive producers and top folks, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And we have shout outs, Matt. We have Greg Fishman from Richmond, Virginia. Right, Greg. Hello, Greg. Greg Sharko. was from. Better. Greg Sharko. No offence, Greg. (laughs) Sharko. From the ATP. Rosensky. Yeah, but I like the arthritis stat. Yeah, very, very good. Fact. We've got Louise Strecker from San Diego. Right, Louise. Hello, Louise. I feel like we might have had Louise before. I've been to San Diego. We've got multiple I've, I've listeners surfed. from San Diego, haven't we? I've surfed in San Diego. Well, Were you any hang good? on, I've got something in on San Diego. There is in La Jolla, which is a little town sort of in the San Diego suburbs on the beach. Delightful place. I've, I've surfed there as well. Um, there is a Billie Jean King play opening mm. in a few weeks' time. Oh, wow. There you go. That's very good. Possibly transferring to Broadway if if it's successful. So get your tickets now. There we go. Thank you, Louise. And we've got Jonah Bernhard. Oh, there's a name. Right, Jonah. Hello, Jonah. Pronounced exactly like it's spelt, Bernhard. The H is not silent, so not like Bernard Tomic. Like Bernhard Langer. Exactly. Very good. Like exactly. Very good. I'm proud of myself. Jonah, thanks very much for being a friend of the Tennis Podcast. Tennis Jonas. I remember a squash player oh. called Jonah Barrington. There you go. That's almost wow. tennis. My dad will love that. Yeah, you and me, Mr. Whittaker, we know. <laughs> I don't know if I can name a single squash player. Not even your hanger Joe card. Matthew. You don't even know Jan Shakar. He had a very long winning streak. We're Correct. very good at squash. Yahanga Khan had an incredibly long winning yeah. streak. Several years, in fact. But no. other than that, I am really struggling. It's not Joe Matthew, is it? It's something else, Matthew. Ross? It's not Ross either. <laughs> <laughs> Just going through names. Surely going to fall across it eventually. Well, we are, because I'm Googling it. Just talk amongst yourself. <laughs> Nick Matthew. Oh, well, I knew it was a single Nick. syllable. Well done, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Squash. What a sport. Mm. Uh, that is it for today. As you can tell, we'll be back tomorrow. Tell your friends. Leave us an Apple podcast review. Subscribe to the newsletter where there is big Reggie news. We'll speak to you tomorrow. 